Good morning. Can you believe it's already Advent? Even though the month of March seemed like it was 35 years ago, somehow we find ourselves beginning the journey once again to Bethlehem to celebrate our Lord's birth. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is celebrated during the first four Sundays before Christmas. The word Advent comes from the Latin word meaning coming. It is a time when we prepare our hearts for Christmas. It is about expectant waiting, hopeful anticipation, and joyful preparation to welcome God into our hearts and our lives, not only during this time, but for all times. In the past, this time of the year has been spent waiting in line to see Santa, cooking and decorating, and getting all the shopping and wrapping done. It often seemed like a race to get to December 25th. Well, that's not Advent. But this year, it's a little different kind of rush. We are preoccupied with thoughts of safety, of not being able to spend that time with family, of the stress time in our world. The busyness is different, but still present, and it's still not Advent. Either way, if you're sick of Christmas by December 25th, you haven't done Advent right. Advent is God coming into our hearts and our lives in all places, all moments, all times. Waiting has not really been easy for us lately. We have all experienced a lot of anxiety in waiting these past months. Waiting for a vaccine, waiting for the election, waiting for the hurricane to decide where it's going to make landfall. But Advent can remind us that there is joy in waiting. We can find joy and grace as we travel to Bethlehem. Our journey to Bethlehem starts with John the baptizer. You ask anyone in the New Testament how to get to Bethlehem, and they will all tell you the same thing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four Gospels say the same thing. If you want to go to Bethlehem to see what's happened, to understand what it means, then you have to go see John first. Why? Because John set the stage for Jesus. He told the people who Jesus was and why he came and what they needed to do. And even now, today, he tells us those very same things. Now, John has this knack for not sugarcoating anything. He's not warm and fuzzy. He's the rougher side of Christmas. Well, I confess, part of me is tired. I'm not sure I want the rougher side of Christmas just now. I don't want to ask John because I know what he's going to tell me. John is a prophet, and somewhere we got the idea that prophets are concerned only with the future, and we usually don't mind that too much. But prophets also tell us about the present. They remind you of what you know and don't want to be concerned about. 
and I know John is going to tell me some stuff that I don't want to hear. But scripture tells us we have to talk to John on our way to Bethlehem. So we go through the desert and keep on going until we get to the Jordan River. And there's John standing in waist-deep cold water, baptizing people and telling them that the kingdom of God is here. John says that the kingdom of God is here, here now, and that we need to repent, even at Christmas time, especially at Christmas time. John says that we need to turn away from our sins, not just the, I feel really bad for what I did, but to change our actions because our hearts have been changed. John is talking about transformation. And then John says that Jesus is the Messiah and that we must decrease and he must increase. It just can't be about us anymore. Well, John, it's no wonder you're not on anybody's Christmas card list. We have all had an unbelievably hard year, and now you want us to focus on making Jesus the object of a holiday that is our only glimmer of joy. Here we are, trying to cope with all this stuff and make it as happy a holiday as we can. And John, well, you're in danger of becoming the Grinch that stole Christmas. Well, John doesn't care. We knew he wouldn't. John the Baptist isn't going to give us any slack, even in a global pandemic. So off we go on our way to Bethlehem with the words of John echoing in our heads. Our theme this Advent season is Adore. One of my very favorite Christmas songs is Come All Ye Faithful, Joyful and Triumphant, O Come Let Us Adore Him. You know, we want to feel joyful and triumphant on Christmas, but it has been a difficult year, to say the least. Our lives this holiday season is more likely to be different from any that we have ever, ever experienced. It's more difficult to do Christmas and pretty much everything this year. For most of us, our hearts are a little bit heavy. So it's okay if you're here and not feeling joyful and triumphant. Oh, come all ye faithful, exhausted and worried. Oh, come all ye faithful, bored and irritated. Oh, come all ye faithful, cynical and angry. Oh, come all ye faithful, heartbroken and grieving. Simply come, all ye faithful, no matter what you're feeling. Come, let us adore him. What does it mean to adore someone? Well, adore is a term that we use lightly all the time to express admiration and love for someone. Oh, I just adore her. She's so wonderful. But the term adore is actually used very sparingly in the Bible. There are a variety of words used in relationship to worship, praise, glorify, rejoice, but adoration only happens in circumstances 
when people feel their smallness and imperfection in the face of the greatness and perfection of God. But rather than the people feeling bad about how small and imperfect they are, they are instead completely taken outside of themselves and enraptured and lost in the wonder and love of God. That's what happened to the shepherds. It says the shepherds left the fields, and as they entered the stable, they gazed on the face of the Christ child, the little baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger, and suddenly everything changed. Whatever brought them to that moment no longer mattered. All of their emotions faded to simple, overwhelming awe. When they saw him, their hearts cried out to do only one thing, to fall on their knees and adore him. Most of us probably do an okay amount of praising God, and we certainly do a whole lot of petitioning God, asking God to fulfill our desires and plans. But how often... Do we really adore God? How often do we let go of our own agenda completely because we can't help it? Because we are so overwhelmed by the goodness and love of God streaming over us and through us. Well, maybe not often enough. There's something in us that resists adoration with praise and petition and even rejoicing and glorifying, we're still in control. We're generating an action toward God based on our evaluation of God's goodness and what we want to get out of it. But to adore God is something else. Adoration means that we are brought to our knees by the grace that we're experiencing, and it's no longer about us. We forget about our needs and our wants, and we simply bask in how very, very good our God is. And John's words come echoing back. We must become less and less, and he must become more. I remember many years ago when our daughter was about nine months old, my precious little firstborn was happily playing in her playpen without a care in the world. She was so engrossed with the toys that I had given her that the phone ringing, the neighbor kids coming in the house, didn't even take away her attention. And, of course, I took complete advantage of the time she was occupied and used it to catch up on a few things. I didn't really think much about her situation. I just knew that she was safe and playing contentedly. And then I walked to the living room where she was. And immediately, she put down the toy she was playing with, stood up, locked her eyes with me, and she fixated her view on me and smiled adoringly. I wasn't sure exactly if it was me that fascinated her or if it was suddenly that her attention got disrupted and now she just realized someone else was in the room. 
So I decided to test my question out by hiding around the corner and checking to see what she would do. And sure enough, she followed me with her eyes and looked intently at me. And as soon as I popped out from behind the wall, that huge, beautiful smile returned, and she zeroed in on me again. It was true. It was me she was looking for. And the adoration in her eyes was just enough to make my mommy heart melt. She made me feel amazing. I felt so much joy in my heart knowing that this little tiny person thought I was awesome, and it overwhelmed me with satisfaction. My child was adoring me. And then it hit me. Have I adored Jesus like that lately? You see, the problems of this world and all my toys somehow take the attention away from my Savior. I sit in the middle of my life, completely engrossed in what I'm focusing on, never looking up to realize I'm in the presence of Jesus. Sometimes it's fun and excitement that distracts me, and other times it's discouragement and frustration. I confess, in my humanness, it really doesn't take much. But I realized from watching my baby's example that I had not spent much time adoring Jesus. My eyes have been fixed on what distracts me, good or bad. And when I saw my little girl drop what she was doing to be completely engrossed in me, God allowed me to realize that I need to do the same thing with him. So how do we adore Jesus? You adore Jesus by making him your first priority. You spend time with him in his word, and you worship in his feet. You read scripture back to him that is in awe of him and sing praises of his wonderful works. You tell him how valuable he is to you. You keep your gaze fixed on him, yes, even in a pandemic. You remind yourself often that he saved you. You let him know that you recognize that he alone is your life source. You tell him every day that you love him. There are some days when I know that I will never accomplish everything on my to-do list. From sunup to sundown, I chase after goals and priorities and tasks that probably really don't matter much in light of eternity. But yet I still find it hard to just stop and savor the richness of Jesus Christ. And it's because I let the things of this life stand in the way. And John says, we need to repent. Why should we adore Jesus? Most religions are based on the word do. Do keep all the rules, do what's on the list, and God will love you. 
Each religion has its own list, but basically the idea is that you must work, strive, put forth great effort to get God to like you. But Romans 5 verse 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God came to earth as Jesus to say, hey, you guys have got it all wrong. Of course doing good things matters, but it doesn't make me love you any more or any less. My love for you is unlimited, unconditional, unchanging, and undeserved. So let me teach you a new concept called grace. You can't purchase it, work for it, or be good enough for it. It's a gift that will cost me a lot, but it's free for you. Everything I do for you, to you, in you, and through you, every single blessing you have in life is a gift of my grace. I've done it all for you. Religions are based on the word do, but salvation is based on the word done. Jesus has already taken on the expense of your salvation. Christmas is the promise, and Easter is the proof. Today, we begin our journey to Bethlehem with the memory of the grace that we have received. Grace chose you, grace sought you, grace drew you, grace forgave you, grace reconciles you, grace transforms you, grace empowers you, and grace will deliver you. My friends, it really is grace upon grace upon grace. And that grace has brought us safe this far. And that grace will lead you home. Pray with me, my friends. Gracious God, you are worthy to receive all glory, love, and praise. You have given us the gift of yourself. We thank you that the kingdom of God is here now, in these hard, holy days, a kingdom that cannot be shaken by the things of this world. We are grateful that you can even use a pandemic to accomplish a spiritual purpose in our lives. Help us to use this time to get a sense of who you are and to find ourselves adoring you, lost in wonder, love, and praise. For it is in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.